Did you see the uh, news story about the retired police officer in Florida that became uh, incensed over a man that was texting uh, on his phone during a movie in a public theater, and that's a retired police officer shot and killed him over texting in a movie theater. A quick search of the internet revealed that there have been five separate fatalities this month alone on our nation highways as a result of road rage. Five separate fatalities due to road rage. And then, did you happen to see the video of the Seattle Seahawks defensive back Richard Sherwin? Uh, Did you see that? How many people saw that? Yeah, I I was wishing Pastor Dave was here this morning because I wanted to show that as a video clip, but I needed his help to to get that done. But it was incredible. The guy just went ballistic. Uh, He just let his rage come out. And uh, the poor woman that was doing the interview, I felt sorry for her. She was really taken back. Uh, She wasn't expecting that at all. But what really surprised me was not so much the antics and the carrying on and Uh, the rage that that person demonstrated. But what really surprised me was uh, the show that was on CNN. Uh, Piers Morgan devoted a show discussing that interview. And Piers Morgan said after uh, after showing that video clip, said, and I quote, I love that. That is what it takes to win. CNN's Rachel Nichols replied, he has to think and speak that way to go out and put his life on the line each game. Put his life on the line. I thought a little bit overdramatic. And then Richard Sherwin said in his defense, I didn't beat anybody. He didn't beat anybody up. He just went off. And so that must be okay. Then Piers Morgan concluded with these words, and I quote, I didn't know much about the guy before, referring to Sherwin, but now I'm going to root for him because of his passion. I like that. I like that. I like to see somebody go nuts. I like to see somebody just go off on a a rampage. Uh, That's passion. That, That is competition. I like that. Well, I'm here to say this morning that Jesus doesn't. Jesus does not like that. Jesus taught that anger is just as unacceptable as the violence that it produces. Let me say that again. Jesus taught that anger is just as unacceptable as the violence that it produces. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Verses 21 and 22. Matthew 5, reading verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whosoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. 
So a, a quick review as to what got us to this place in the text. Jesus had been teaching his disciples that they were to be different from the world around about them. That difference is characterized as being salt and light. Salt and light. We and they are to be salt. That is, our thoughts and actions should help preserve the world from evil. And they and we are to be light. That is, to be a source of conviction and also guidance as to how life should be lived. And today, we're going to emphasize the need to be salt and light in the most practical ways possible. And that is in our lack of anger. In our lack of anger. Learning to control our emotions, we will be light and salt in this world. Much of the evil of this world is due to people's anger. Can you agree to that? Much of the evil of this world is due to people's anger. The world would be a far more pleasant, enjoyable, and yes, safer place if people were able to control their anger. Further, Jesus said that unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that their righteousness and our righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Their righteousness had not gone far enough. And their righteousness had not gone far enough in two ways. First, in their teaching concerning righteousness, what the law required, namely perfection. And uh, they fell short of teaching the full requirement of the law. And secondly, they needed to exceed the manifestation of the righteousness of the Pharisees, that uh, their personal conduct did not measure up with the teaching of the law of God. So they failed their teaching, didn't go far enough, they failed their conduct, did not go far enough. So Jesus then provides us with six examples of how the teaching and conduct of the Pharisees does not go far enough in requiring righteousness. They spoke to an external righteousness, but not an internal righteousness. The common denominator in all of those six examples, and we're going to take them one by one each week, the common denominator in all of those examples is that the emotion is as unacceptable as the action that it produces. The emotion is as unacceptable as the action that it produces. Today, it's not just murder, it's anger. Next week, it's not just adultery, it's looking upon a woman with lustful thoughts. That the emotion is as unacceptable as the action. Unlike the Pharisees, Jesus is not just concerned about outward actions, but the heart's motivation for those actions. Jesus taught later in the book of Matthew, verse 19 of chapter 15, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders. The problem is the heart. So this morning we looked at the teaching of the Pharisees 
concerning murder and how it did not go far enough. So look with me at our text. Not only is murder, murder punishable, but anger is as well. The Pharisees taught that murder is punishable, and well, they should have. Verse 21. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit adultery. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. Jesus is now going to go further and state that even anger is punishable. And he says this in three different ways. First, the inward seething is unacceptable. Just that inner boiling of getting upset is unacceptable. Verse 22, but I say unto you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Just the anger itself. Next, the next step in anger is to hurl insults at someone seeking to hurt their feelings and cause them emotional pain. Verse 22, next phrase. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Raka, literally translated, would be to be empty-headed. To be empty-headed. Uh, it is an insult. It's like calling somebody a knucklehead. Calling somebody a mor- moron. The idea there that the insults that one throws in order to hurt feelings and cause emotional pain is wrong. Then the third step in anger is to seek a person's ruin. Physical or spiritual. In the word of God, the term fool is reserved to one who stands in opposition to God and is thus condemned. So we should not call someone a fool. A fool. In Psalm 14.1, it says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. So, in essence, to call somebody a fool in the New Testament context is to call down judgment upon that person. To make it very blunt and very clear, it would have the force and be equal to someone today saying, God damn you. Or simply, damn you. May your soul rot. What a horrible thing to come out of the mouth of an individual. What hatred must underline that? What what anger? Well, we must ask the question, didn't Jesus call the Pharisees fools? Yes, he did. But he was not seeking their destruction. In fact, he said it to them as a warning. In Matthew 23, 16, it says, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men. There, he is not seeking their destruction. He's warning them. He's saying, 
You are acting like the unbelievers that you are. Recognize that you are not keeping the law, you are trying to circumvent the law. It is not wrong to tell someone they're going to hell if they're really going to hell. And if it's not said with a spirit of animosity, but it's said with a tear in the eye. When Jesus spoke about destruction, and when Jesus spoke about judgment, he was trying to spare people of judgment. Quite the opposite of someone who in anger lashes out and says to somebody, go to hell. We should never tell somebody to go to hell. But we should warn them of the destructive nature of sin and that hell exists. But we are not to use it in a destructive way. The application is rather simple. And that is, we should not seek to cause anyone pain or harm at any level. That's what it boils down to. We should not seek to cause people harm or pain at any level. We shouldn't do anything to hurt someone, whether that be an emotional hurt, whether that be a spiritual hurt, or whether that be a physical hurt. We should not wish misfortune on anyone or be glad when they experience hardship. And we certainly should not inwardly, secretly wish that someone was dead. And we should not seek or be glad for a person's spiritual ruin. That's the basis. I want to spend a lot of time on application this morning because we find that Jesus not only teaches us not to get angry, but positively what we should do instead. And that is, rather than hold grudges, we are to seek to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice Matthew 5.23. If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering before the altar and go your way, First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. We are to reconcile. That is, we are to seek to make things right between us. We are to restore broken relationships. Whatever the cause for that relationship, we should want to seek it to come to an end. Rather than to prolong it, Rather than to flame the fires, we should seek to quench them and put them out. We should seek to reconcile with one another. What is very interesting in this passage is that that is our spiritual duty. That's our obligation. That's a part of our worship. So much so that Jesus says, if you're coming and you are ready to offer a sacrifice, if you are going to come and you're going to confess your sin by offering up a sacrifice, before you do that, 
Go and reconcile with this person. And then come and offer your sacrifice. That's how important it is. It is the exact opposite of seeking a person's damnation or spiritual ruin. And then thirdly, we are to quickly settle our differences even when we think that we are in the right. We are quickly to settle our differences even when we think that we are in the right. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 25, we have the example of a person who's being sued. Verse 25, make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with them in the way. In order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and to be thrown into prison. Here, the person obviously thinks that they've been wronged. They think that they have been mistreated. They have done something that requires damages. Payment needs to be made. They have been defrauded in some way. And the scripture says, before you go to court, quickly make friends along the way. Drop your lawsuit. Make friends quickly so that you don't go to court and find out that you are guilty. So you don't go to court and then you end up paying the uttermost. Here the implication is simple. In God's court, we may think we're going to be found innocent, but God is displeased with the manifestation of anger. And God is not pleased when we are unwilling to reconcile and to get along with individuals. We are not in the right. How often it is that people think they're in the right and, and there are all kinds of, of unrest among God's people. And uh, there are what is known today in churches as worship wars. People fighting over music. People fighting over all kinds of, of inconsequential issues. God is not pleased with that. God is not honored in that. God is not pleased in that. Instead, we are to allow ourselves to be taken advantage of. Now we might wonder about the literalness of this. Are we really supposed to take this literally? Well, in each of these six areas, we have the supreme example of Jesus. For Jesus begins by saying, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Last week we saw that Jesus said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I came not to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus came to teach more accurately and thoroughly the word of God, and he came to live the word of God. And so Jesus contrasts not only his teaching, but his life with that of the Pharisees. Their teaching fell short. Their lives fell short. And we can see the reality of this in a very practical way in the lives of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, when Jesus spoke against them, did not repent. But instead, they became angry. John seven twenty three. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me 
because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? And the answer is, yes, they were. They were angered by Jesus. They were repeatedly angered by Jesus. How angered were they? They desired to see him dead. How much did they desire to see him dead? They lied, they connived, they tricked, and they made payment in order to see Jesus dead. That was the righteousness of the Pharisees. Jesus stands in stark contrast. Listen to the teaching and then the actions of Jesus. Jesus taught us to turn the other cheek, Matthew 5.39, part of the Sermon on the Mount. But I say unto you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Did you ever think about that? If the person is going to slap you on the right cheek, don't physically resist. Don't beat him up. Don't take him on. Don't teach him a lesson. Don't show him who's stronger. Don't show him who can win. If someone slaps you on the cheek, let that person slap you on the other side. Literal or figurative? Hyperbole or the standard of righteousness? Listen to these words about Jesus. Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and others slapped him. before Jesus went to the cross. Scripture goes on to say that they pulled out the hair of his beard. Isaiah 53 says he was so marred that his face didn't even look human anymore. So swollen, so bloodied, so beaten. Jesus' righteousness exceeded the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus taught us to pray for those who persecute us. Matthew 5.44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Pray for those so that you might be like the Son of God. Jesus, in fact, did pray for those who persecuted him. Luke 23.33. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals on the right and on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus prayed for his persecutors. But he's praying there. He's simply praying that they would not be struck dead. That they would not be smitten as a result of their great sin and their wickedness. You know, in the Old Testament, you couldn't even touch the Ark of the Covenant without dying. 
hear, they spit on, they slap, they beat, and they ultimately crucify the very Son of God. And all the time, Jesus was saying, that's a wonderful translation because it's a, it's a repeated act, not just once, but continually through all that he was enduring, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And he teaches us to endure hardship and difficulty. And all the time, praying for that person, Father, forgive them. Father, don't hold it to their account. Don't make them pay. How often we want to see people pay for what they do to us. Not so Jesus. Not so Jesus. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. Matthew 5, 44, by saying to you, love your enemies. Jesus, who taught us to love our enemies, in fact, did love his enemies. Romans 5, 8, but God commended his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Goes on to say in Romans 5, 10, for if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Christ died for us while we were yet enemies of God. What a contrast. The Pharisees sought the destruction of Jesus. Jesus sought to give life to those that brought the destruction. Jesus gave his life for us who caused his death. So, in conclusion, what should our response be? Well, first, we should seek to be salt and light in this world in the most practical areas and ways. I don't know what that communicated to you when We're talking about being salt and light, but Jesus is going to make this extremely practical. Application number one, anger. Salt preserves. Will you preserve relationships? Will you preserve your marriage? Will you preserve your relationship with your brother and sister in Christ? Will you preserve the unity of this church? Will you preserve the workplace that you live in? I mean, that you work in. The community in which you serve. Will you, by the control of your anger, prove to be salt in this world? Will you be light by giving an example providing a a living testimony of how people should live. We need to ask ourselves, what are, are our children, what are our grandchildren learning about the Christian life as they observe our demeanor? Do they see a person out of control? That's what the word mad means. Mad means crazy, temporary insanity. Do you go mad? 
You get out of control? Do you, hear, do you hurl insults? Do you call people names? Inwardly, do you just allow yourself to seethe and be upset? And have you ever gotten so far as to wish somebody dead or damned? We're to be light by controlling our anger. We should see how miserably we fail and fall short of God's righteous standard. And and then in that, we should not seek to change the standard, but to recognize and admit our failures. May we not blame circumstances or others, but our own selves, when sin is manifested. One phrase that I would challenge us all to get rid of in our vocabulary, and that is, you make me mad. Nobody can make you angry. Nobody can make you mad. That's your response. That comes from within. That's how we respond to our circumstance. You don't have to respond in anger. You don't have to respond in ridicule. You don't have to respond in getting upset. Have you ever found your, yourself in a situation? You, you know, you're in a hotted, heated discussion with your spouse. Maybe raising your voice, maybe not too happy and you're upset. And you're ready to take your head off and all of a sudden the phone rings. Hello. It's amazing how quickly we can turn it off. We have to learn to turn it off all the time. Not just when people are observing, but it's to be a matter of the heart. Next, we should appreciate the teaching and life of Jesus. He is the one to be exalted. He is the one to be emulated. May we seek to be like Christ. And here, the world doesn't help us at all. The world doesn't help us at all. Our world does not value meekness. Our world exalts the person who stands up for themselves. The person who stands their ground. The person who lashes out. The person who's not going to be taken advantage of. That's what our world looks to. Piers Morgan said, I like that. I like that aggression. I like that passion. That's what it takes to be a winner. Proverbs says, greater is he that can control his spirit than he that can take a city. It's much more difficult to exercise self-control than it is to beat somebody up. Jesus is to be exalted. He's to be emulated. He's to be our hero. We should see Jesus as the source of righteousness. N.T. Wright says this, and I quote, All of this 
is, of course, impossible. That is, it's impossible until you look at Jesus. As we continue through Matthew's story, we discover that our natural question, how can people possibly do what he says, is eventually answered. Jesus himself refused to go the way of anger. Instead, he took the anger of his enemies within Israel and of Israel's own enemies, the Romans, onto himself and died under its load. From that point on, reconciliation is not simply an ideal we might strive for. It is an achievement or an accomplishment which we, in turn, must now embody. In other words, Jesus was trying to teach us that we fail in these areas. That's why he came to die. So we might experience forgiveness. We are to recognize we fail in these areas. That's the beginning. To admit to ourselves, I fail in these areas. And then secondly, to cry out unto God, not only for forgiveness, but empowerment. That through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, our lives are changed and transformed. That gradually, it's not going to happen overnight, but that the Spirit of God would give us the ability to control our actions. That we at least don't throw things across the room. We stop calling people names. But beyond just controlling our actions, but actually transform our hearts so that we really are grieved when we hurt somebody. That we take no delight in causing emotional pain. That we're concerned about people's feelings. And we wouldn't wish upon our worst enemy that they go to a Christless eternity. May God grant us hearts that truly seek each other's well-being and is willing to make personal sacrifice for that well-being. Rather than to let grudges continue, to let yourself be defrauded, to be taken advantage of, to give in and say, that's all right. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Let them have the coat off your back. All of those references from the Sermon on the Mount. So not just turning over a new leaf, but asking God to change us. Ask him to draw near to us, strengthening our resolve and actually bringing about an enduring change. May we see anger for as awful and destructive it is. May God preserve us from some tremendously untoward circumstance when in a moment of anger, we do the unthinkable. When we hit someone, or worse yet, when we actually kill someone, the world would be a better place if we would control our anger. Let's pray.